Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. It's good to see you. It's good to all cram in here together. Uh, it's encouraging. So if you see any open seats next to you, you might we'll, tr- we'll try to keep squeezing to the middle for Abel. I know we got people, a lot of people standing in the back and, and extra chairs in the back. And I think there will be audio of the sermon piping in down into the foyer. So you'll, you'll be able to hear. You may not be able to see me, but that's to your advantage, I think, too, if you can hear me. Well, it's good to be here. Please take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We start a new series today looking at the book of Deuteronomy and really just looking at chapter 6 and looking at how the Lord of glory, how he wants this passage to play out in all of our lives. And if you're new and you're not, maybe not that familiar with your Bible, that's all right. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. So fifth book in the Bible, right before Joshua and Judges and Ruth and in that neck of the woods there in the Old Testament. And we'll be looking at chapter 6. What I love about this passage is that how God has intended by his providence and by his good grace that this passage would apply to every single one of us, whether you are single or whether you are a 70-year-old empty nester, grandparent, an uncle, this passage is rich for our lives. So as we do every week, if you're new, what we do is we stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're able, let's stand together in honor of the reading of the word of Christ. And beginning in verse 1, we hear from Moses through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them and the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, at a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. By the divine spirit, by the name of Jesus Christ, would you help us now to hear your word? To hear, O people of God, that you are one. There is no other. 
Help us wherever we are, Lord. You know our hearts. Will we all collectively gather into Deuteronomy 6.5 and to love you with all of our heart, our soul, and our might. Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today is really the beginning of a four-week series on family discipleship, of, of God's call for us to follow him, of God's call for us to teach others to do the same, and it beginning in the house. So whether you are a young family with young kids, whether you're single, or whether you're an empty nester, whether you're a grandparent, these verses apply to us today. And we're going to unpack how. So what we believe from this scripture and many others that we'll see over the following weeks is that the primary, if you have young kids right now today, this moment, and even if you have older kids, even the still primary disciple makers of your children are you, mom, and are you, dad. The church and her pastors and leaders, Redeemer Kids servants, we are an additional voice. We're... Elders, pastors, preachers, we're we're a loud additional voice, an important voice. But you and your home with your children, teaching and encouraging them as God has established for you here in Deuteronomy 6, when he says that you shall teach them diligently. Moses doesn't include himself, even though Moses will teach them. But he starts with you shall teach them diligently these things, how to follow and how to love God. This is what we're after in family discipleship. And I know since we're hearing from God's word today on family discipleship, some of us already know and we're going to talk about how to teach our kids about God and how to follow him. Some of us are already excited. Like, great, I've got little babies and I don't know what to do. I feel a great burden. I want to teach them how to know God. I, may, I don't want to do things that I did when I was, that my parents did with me. I want to do something different. Some of us are pumped, excited, thrilled, and you're, you're ready to go. I mean, our church has a lot of young families with a lot of young children, and it's a blessing. And so I'm excited for us to join into this together. On the flip side, I know that there are also some of us, we're nervous already. Some of you, you're nervous, and you're, you, you don't feel equipped to do this. And some of you already feel guilty. Just the thought of you teaching your kids about God and about his word, you feel guilty already, that you've, you feel ashamed, that you've already blown it. You feel ill-equipped. And others, I know, are wondering, why do I need to hear this? I'm single. Why would this apply to me? I'm an empty nester. All my kids are at college. What what does this matter for me now? I'm a grandparent. So I mean, what what am I going to do? I'm married. We don't have any kids. Why do I need this? Listen, the answer to all of those objections, to those who are nervous, to those who feel ashamed, those who feel ill-equipped, to those who wonder, is this even relevant to me because of where I'm at in my stage of life? The answer to all of those is the same. And it's, it's multiple fold. Here's the first one. This is God's word, not mine. This is not Jeff's idea of how families and relationships and dynamics should work. This is God's. And what did Jesus say to us about God's word in Matthew 4.4? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not the words that we think are relevant. Not the words that we would like to hear. Not the words that we like and apply immediately to our lives. But Jesus says we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So whether you have kids or not, 
Deuteronomy 6 is for you, from God, to help you live. Whether you're an empty nester, grandparent, young babies, God has given you Deuteronomy 6 to help you live. And what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, it couldn't be even clearer. Look at what he says. For all scripture is breathed out by God, and this word is key, and is profitable. Is profitable for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be equipped to do every good work. So this, all scripture, when Paul says all scripture, when Jesus says every word and gives us the impact of, these, of the scriptures on our lives, none of us can shake the relevancy of Deuteronomy 6 on our life. Because there's no asterisks here. Unless you're single, Deuteronomy 6 isn't profitable for you. No, this is profitable for all of us. The Bible, God never relieves us from hearing and heeding something in the Bible that, that we don't think is relevant to us. Have you ever noticed that in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about marriage. And he talks about husbands and wives and the great picture of marriage of Christ and his church. Have you ever noticed that in Ephesians 5, when Paul gets to Christ and his church, he doesn't say, when he gets to husbands and wives, he doesn't say, hey, I'm about to talk about marriage. If you're single, you're free to step out. I haven't found that in any translation of the Bible I've looked at. He doesn't say that to the Colossians. He doesn't say that to, to the Corinthians. Hey, I'm about to talk about singleness now, church at Corinth. If you're married, feel free to step out while they read the rest of this letter. No, he doesn't do any of that. Why? Because Paul knows what Jesus has said and what Moses communicates to us, what God intends that all scripture is for all of our life. If you don't listen to the, the section on marriage, you are missing out on a part of Christ and his heart for his people. If you don't want to listen to what God has to say about families and teaching them and exhorting them to follow him, you're missing out on a part of God's heart, of God's desire to, for the generations and for the nations to come to know him and to follow him. So listen, a single man, young single man, Deuteronomy 6 is for you. Single woman, Deuteronomy 6 is profitable for you. And I believe it's profitable for you because Paul promises it's profitable for you. It's readying you for future marriage and children, if that's what God has for you. I, I wish I knew these things before I had kids. I wish I had been taught these things before. And the same way that we teach people stop, drop, and roll before they catch on fire. This is good preparation for the future if this is what the Lord has for you. And for the dad today who feels like it's too late, it's too late to, to start something like this. My kids are older my kids don't respect me in this area anymore. It's too late. Deuteronomy 6, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, is a word of rebuke for you. All scripture is profitable to rebuke you. That's not, it's not too late. It, it's, that's not true. His mercies are new every morning. So, you, so you've blown it for 20 years. That's all right. There are new mercies tomorrow. For the mom who thinks it's not a big deal, I send my kids to Christian school. We do the homeschool co-op. We, we have great influence. I, if you don't feel, feel the shared burden with your husband, this verse is a rebuke and a correction to you. If you feel it's too difficult, I don't know enough. I, I'm a newer Christian. I, I don't know enough about the scriptures. I don't know enough about theology. I, don't, I can't do this. This is a word of exhortation to you and encouragement. What does Paul promise? All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. Then skip to verse 17 that you may be equipped for every good work. 
The scriptures will equip you for this task. God is not calling us to do anything that he is not equipping you and I to do. If that were true, he would be a cruel God. But as we know he is not a cruel God, that he is a gracious and a good, good father, whatever the Lord calls us to do, he empowers and equips us to do the very same thing. God's equipping every single one of us for this great task of family discipleship. So no matter where you land on the spectrum, where you are on that dynamic, young, empty nester, little kids at home, the glory of God and the next generation to tell them of the glory of God is our responsibility. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 89. He says, I will sing of your steadfast love of the Lord. That's, I, I will enjoy you, Lord. I will read your word. I will worship you. I will enjoy Sunday morning worship. I will praise you in my car. That's the personal realm of worshiping Christ. But that's not where it ends. Look at how it continues. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Not only will I personally enjoy you, Lord, and make much of you, but I will also have a vision to make much of you among the next generation, among the babies in this room, among the babies in my house, and the high schoolers in my house. I want to make known to them your faithfulness. So what does this look like? Now, in the next few weeks, we're going to go through what it looks like to teach your children about God and his gospel and his glory and his kingdom. What do we do when family discipleship time? Do we sing? What do we sing? What, what do we read? Do we all pray? What, what if my kid wants his Mickey Mouse to pray? Do we do that? Is that allowed? Is this like a Toy Story thing? Is there an infringement copyright here if I let Mickey pray? What do we do if my kid, my two-year-old, while we're praying, yells bullfight and starts slamming into me? Because that happens at my house. What do you do when your kid takes a nosedive off the bed and you're trying to read? We're going to go into all of these things. But listen, if, if, if you're freaked out, you're nervous, whatever, just I, wanna, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear this, you're going to be frustrated. Family discipleship is a serious calling. But with Jesus, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Okay? Family discipleship is serious, but with Jesus, the yoke is easy and his burden is light. I promise you, family discipleship, according to the scriptures, according to Deuteronomy 6, is easier than you think. It is challenging. It takes discipline it, and it takes desire, but it is easier than you think. If we follow God's way of doing family discipleship, I promise you, it will be fun. It will be encouraging. It will require discipline, but the reward will be there. It will be God-glorifying. It will be fun. It will be encouraging because with Jesus, the yoke is easy and his burden is light. You don't have to do this alone, and you aren't doing this alone. With Jesus, we have all the power by the Holy Spirit that we need to live out what God is calling us. Christ is at work in us. Listen, as much as we believe that Jesus and his spirit is at work in us to help us fight lust, remember, Jesus is at work in us to help us in family discipleship. So often we only call on Christ to help us not do the things we're not supposed to do. But we forget that Christ is at work in us to do the things that he's calling us to do, that he's empowering us to do. So when you sit down with your family, maybe for the first time this week, you're going to sit down before everybody goes to bed and you're going to pray. This might be the first time your family's prayed without a bowl of chips and queso on the table. More than, Father, thank you for this food, blessed and nourished from everybody's amen. That's, we need more than that. So maybe you're going to sit down with your kids and kneel together on the bed or on the bedside or sit in the couch, whatever, and you're going to pray. And dad or mom, you're nervous, and you're like, I, I don't know what I'm going to pray. I'm going to sound like a goofball. Let all that go. 
and believe in that moment that the risen Christ is at work in you, leading you, helping you, and empowering you as you model for your kids what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is at work in you. So as we go forward, we cannot forget that the one who died in my place and rose again from the dead and now reigns in the heavens, that he is at work in me, helping me do the very things he's calling me to do. And this is really where we need to begin as we think about family discipleship. Because really, this is where Moses begins. Before we can get into you discipling your family, you must see that it begins with you. We don't start with in family discipleship. This is how you do devotions. These are the books you should read. This is how you pray. That's not where we start. Family discipleship begins with you modeling what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Every dad in this room, family discipleship begins with you modeling to your children what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Every mom in this room, every grandparent, every uncle, every friend, you are modeling what what discipleship looks like as you live as a disciple of Jesus, you and your walk with God is a curriculum to your children on Christianity. You and your walk with God is a curriculum to your children on what Christianity is. Look at Deuteronomy 6. Where does Moses begin? Look at verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them and the land which you're going over to possess, and now verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. And watch the progression. You and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments. So look, look at what he says. You fear the Lord, and then what? Your son, your grandson. He lays out the progression of the word of God and the testimony of God's mighty works and it being passed on to each generation. And it starts with you. In our home, it starts with Jeff and Natalie Metters. And we are not just to go teach our kids how to follow Jesus. We are to follow Jesus. We are to fear the Lord our God and walk in his statutes because we've been crucified with Christ. Because we've been raised with Christ in newness of life. Because we've been filled with the spirit of Christ. And because we wait for the return of Christ. So we follow him. And then we teach our kids, here's how you follow Jesus. And guys, to, be, to fear the Lord, what we need to know, we say this often, especially in the Old Testament, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of the Lord like Adam and Eve in Genesis. To fear the Lord is a simple way to think about it is to fear dishonoring the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the fear of dishonoring the Lord. It's I'm living with an awareness and an ambition to honor God in my life. Living with an awareness and an ambition to honor God in my life. Because I'm in God's family. Because I've believed the gospel. Because we are in the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus is my Savior and I don't want to dishonor him. So we live with an awareness and ambition to honor him. Before we can talk about discipling our kids, it starts here. And this makes sense, right? You can't teach your kids about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus if you don't follow Jesus. So do you follow Christ? Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? Do you follow him outside of an hour and a half on Sunday morning? And listen, grandparents, you're in here too. Did you see yourself in verse 2? There are some of us in this room, the entire verse is immediately applicable to all of us. I stop right in the middle that you Verse 2, and your son, your daughter, 
and then your son's son or your son's daughter or your daughter's. You could, add, you could add all the different variances here. Some of us are grandparents, and the vision that God has for you is to teach your grandchildren too about God, about his glory, about his kingdom. God calls you not just to be the one who fills your kids with ice cream and candy, which I can't wait to do, to give them all the ice cream and not worry about putting them to bed. That sounds great. Let them have ice cream for breakfast. It sounds wonderful. But God calls you to more than that. Model for them. Show them. Teach them about God and his glory. When you're sitting there having ice cream with Timmy, you can go, Timmy, isn't it amazing that God gave us a cow? Is it because ice cream, the milk, it comes from cows, Timmy. Uh-huh. And you know what else we get from cows, Timmy, that Jesus gave us? Leather. Footballs. Basketballs. Milk. Cheese. Fajitas. This all comes from this one animal, Timmy. And God gave us this. Isn't that great, Timmy? Teaching our kids that they live in a world that isn't just this thing floating in in the sky. This is God's world, God's people, God's creation, God's gifts. Here's what it looks like to follow him. Why we follow him. Look at verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God. Do you fear him? And even before we say, do you you fear the Lord your God? We start with, is the Lord your God? Have you been born again? It's great that you come to worship on Sunday mornings, and it's great that you occasionally read your Bible. But that's not what Moses is asking, and that's not what I'm asking. Is the Lord really your God? Is Jesus your Savior? Amen. Is God your king? And listen, one of the things I thought about as I was preparing for this is, do your kids know why you're here today? Do you know why you're here today? Why do you come here? This is just some hobby. This is the weirdest hobby in the universe. (laughs) Let's come and hear about some ancient book, a guy that died 2,000 years ago, and let's sing songs to him and we can't even see him. But so why, why, do your kids know why you come here? When I think about growing up in the Bible Belt, and this is my great concern about the Bible Belt still, is that we just come to church because that's what you do. You get up, you get dressed. Do your kids know why you're getting them up so early, getting them dressed, throwing donut holes at them in the back seat? (laughs) Do they get it? Ask them. Ask them sometime this week. Do you know why we go to that place on Sunday? And be ready for what they say. And don't be ashamed at whatever they say. Teach them. Tell them, you know why we go to this place? Because your mom and dad, or maybe it's just your mom, maybe it's just your dad, you say, because I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I'm a great sinner, but we have a great Savior, and I deserve God's wrath, but Jesus died in my place, and Jesus rose again from the dead, and now Jesus tells us to gather with his people. And so we gather with everyone else who believes in Jesus. And we we come together to worship him, to encourage one another. That's why we go to that little Redeemer church on Sundays. That's because we're supposed to, not because it's the good, like, Bible Belt thing to do, but because Jesus is alive. That's why we go there. And that's why we don't go to a mosque. That's That's why we don't go to a golf course. That's why we don't go have brunch at Black Walnut. We go here because we believe Jesus is alive in the heavenly places. So, friends, is the Lord your God? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father but by him? That your sins are forgiven by him? That he is returning and he's going to raise you from the dead and that you have new life in him? If you believe that, therefore, your life isn't your life, but it's his and it's been bought with a price. And now that's modeled throughout our entire life, not just our weekends. So do you really live with an awareness and an ambition to honor God in your job? It's easy to live with an awareness and ambition to honor God on a Sunday morning. But do you live with an awareness and an ambition to honor him at your job and in your entertainment, in the way you spend your money, and what you drink, how much you drink, you eat, how much you eat? I love what Abraham Kuyper says. Because it's really easy, guys, to affirm theologically, yep, Jesus is Lord of all, but then practically not live like Jesus is Lord of all. Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of the universe where Jesus does not say, mine. But yet we can affirm that, go, yeah, that's true, really true. And yet we can live as though there are square inches of our life where we don't let Jesus say, mine. What does this show our children? What are we modeling to our children? This is all about modeling. It's, we're teaching them how to have a fake Christianity. We're teaching them, as Isaiah says, how to honor God with your lips, but then have your heart far from him. We're showing them really how to fake it. We're teaching them that you can affirm that it's true to love your neighbor as yourself, but then when you gossip about your coworker or you slander your boss at home over the dinner table, you're teaching them it's all irrelevant, really, to love your neighbor as yourself. You can affirm that, yeah, husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. But if you berate your wife and you talk down to her in front of the children, you're showing them you just need to believe it's true in the Bible. It doesn't really matter if you do it in your life or not. And wives, you can affirm the truthfulness of respecting your husband, submitting to them, and to honoring them. But then if you're taking them to soccer and you're talking to your girl on the phone and you're talking bad about your husbands together while they're in the back seat, we're, we're raising future Pharisees if we do this. And this doesn't mean we have to be sinless. None of us will be sinless. We are going to fall. We are going to mess up. We are going to sin. So what this means is, instead, we confess our sin. We show them, here's what you do when you sin. You don't hide it. You don't pull an Adam and Eve and put on a suit of fig leaves. You confess. I was wrong when I said that. It was sinful. Please forgive me, honey. You tell your kid, even when you sin against them, I, I should not have responded that way. That was wrong. Would you please forgive me? We're teaching them this is how the gospel works in our lives. This is what it really means to follow Jesus. We don't hide our faults. We show them we have faults and we have a risen Savior. So what do you model? Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, see, our God, the Lord is one. This is called the great Shema because that word in Hebrew, hear, is Shema. And it means more than just hear with your ears. It means hear with your heart. It means a hearing and a doing. A hearing and a heeding. This is why James was so, the book of James in that series, why he was so concerned with us being hearers and doers. Because all the way back to Deuteronomy, that was the whole concern of the Lord, that we would be hearers of the word and doers. They would be hearers and heeders. So when God says, I am one, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, he's saying, know that there is no other God but me. 
and live like there is no other God but me. This is why you don't bow down to Baal. This is why you don't bow down to other idols. There is no other God. I alone am supreme. There is no other. Theologically true, and it must be experientially true. I, the Lord, am supreme. And this was countercultural in Moses' day. The pantheon of gods all around the nation of Israel. This was countercultural in the New Testament with a gaggle of gods and goddesses in the Roman Empire that people were to bow down to. And this is countercultural in our day. With Islam bearing down on so many countries, with atheism sprouting up like crazy in the United States and with a degrading American culture, this is still countercultural. That there would be people who'd say, No, the Lord our God is one, there is no other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is no other. Beloved, you cannot lukewarmly live Deuteronomy 6.4 because the implications of Deuteronomy 6.4 are huge. Look at how it plays out. Look at verse 5. So you believe it, verse 4, and you live it, verse 5. You shall love. I always love that it's, this is where the Lord begins with us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Remember, Jesus said this is the most important commandment in the Scriptures. When Jesus was being quizzed, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important one in in all the Scriptures? Jesus says this one, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Think about that for a second. This is what Jesus says is the most important thing for God's people to do. This hit me really hard this past week. We're driving with my daughter in the car, and we had we have this music playing that sings scriptures, and they were singing Deuteronomy 6.5. And we're sitting at a red light, and I just quickly said to her, Ivy, Jesus said that this song we're singing, Jesus said this is the most important thing to do in the universe. And she just goes, wow. That's big. If Jesus said that, this is most important? That's huge. And in that moment, it just, I, my eyes just started watering because her little comments were so good, so short, and they really just blew up the importance of this, just made it larger in my mind. This is huge. Jesus said, this is the greatest thing that we need to be doing. And I sat there in that moment at the red light going, this is God, make this big to me. Make it big to me that I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. I mean, we need to be praying that God make this big to me too. Because this is the call to love God with all that you are. This is why it's this threefold heart, soul, might. It's just a way of communicating with all that you are, no restrictions, no hemmed in, no reserves back, but all on the Lord. The heart in, in the Old Testament, the heart is not the way we think of heart as though it's some kind of emotional center. The heart in the Old Testament is the mission control of a person. It's all the knobs and levers and buttons, everything that is leading this person's life, it's mission control, space center Houston of a person. And the soul is kind of like the passions. And then the might, not a great translation of that word, it's really difficult. The word just means muchness. With the muchness, your heart, your soul, and, and just your muchness, your vigor, might, effort, all that you are directed to loving the Lord your God. So do you love the Lord your God? 
And, and, and here's the danger, is that you know, yes, I'm supposed to say yes. Yep, it's true. I'm supposed to say yes. Don't just do that. Sit back and be like, do I really love the Lord my God? Or do I just love the idea of not going to hell forever? Do I really love the Lord my God? And listen, remember where Deuteronomy, where, this, where these words are coming from. On the heels of the Exodus of God smashing Pharaoh and liberating his people from slavery. And now God is telling them, look what I've done for you. I'm asking you, inviting you, love me. Love me from the love that I've shown you. I have loved you first. Love me in return. This is exactly what we're called to as Christians. We love God because he loved us first. Now, we don't look back at the Exodus. We look back at the cross, our Exodus, Satan being crushed, sin being defeated, Christ being raised from the dead. And now we respond in love. To love the Lord your God, church, is to live in response to God's love for you. That's the easiest way I could think about what does it mean to love the Lord our God? It means to live in response to the love that God has shown you at the cross and at the empty tomb. The goal of family discipleship is to love God. Our goal in family discipleship isn't just to raise up a bunch of people who know the scriptures. The goal in family discipleship isn't just to raise up a bunch of little kids who know how to hide their sin and say, Jesus is the answer to every Sunday school question. The goal in family discipleship is to teach your kids to love God. And notice Moses' breakdown. Look at verse 5. You shall love, and then skip down to verse 7. Verse 6 says, they shall be on your heart, and then you shall teach. That's the progression. You shall love God, they shall be on your heart, and then you shall teach. You cannot teach what you do not love. You can say things, but they will ring hollow if you do not have love. You can say all the things in the world. This is what you should do, this is what you should do. But your kids know. They subtly, every child knows that they really follow what you do, not what you say. This is why Moses says you shall love shall be on your heart, and then you shall teach. The goal of family discipleship is teaching them how to love the Lord our God. Children will imitate what you love and follow. Discipleship is almost more caught than taught. Ivy, my little girl, she loves to eat steak with us. She's a very wise seven-year-old. And she'll only eat medium rare steak. She will not eat medium well. She will not eat well. She will not eat well done. And she calls it pink steak. And we're at one of those Brazilian steakhouses where they kind of cut it off and put it on your plate. And they put some on her plate. And she just leaned over and said, it's brown. <laughs> tell them I want pink steak. I'm like, you tell them. You're like, I want pink steak, please. That she will only eat pink steak. She's learned from her parents We've discipled her into right steak. <laughs> I didn't have to sit down with textbooks and explain to her from Bobby Flay's Grill It and to show her all the options, be like, well, here's what you need to know about well-done steak, and here's what you need to know about this kind of cut. No, she tasted the difference. She tasted and saw. And family discipleship goes that same route. They taste and see what's happening in your life. They taste and see what's happening in the home. They're tasting and seeing if you really believe the Lord is good. So if 
Look, look, if you're lukewarm to God, you barely go to church, hardly read your Bible, and you can't figure out why your kids aren't that interested in Christianity, you, you shouldn't be surprised. Now, this doesn't mean that if we follow God with all of our heart and we do it, then all of our children will be saved. That's not what this means. It is still up to God and his grace. But God has put grace in your kids' lives by you following him, by you honoring. If your lack of love for God, your lack of love for his church, your lack of love for his word, listen, it is evident to your kids it's evident that you don't really care that much about the Bible, that you don't really care that much about prayer. It's evident if you do care that much about the Bible and you do care that much about prayer and you do care that much about Sunday morning worship. So the answer isn't to hang your head and go, I've blown it. The answer is to confess your sins, to believe the gospel in this moment too, that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and that there are new mercies available to me tomorrow. So don't trust your past performance. Trust Christ and his spirit and the glory of God, the Lord your God, and love the Lord your God. I love what Matt Chandler says about how do we really love the Lord our God? What does it look like to love God? It's super simple. We can overcomplicate things, but it's really this simple. You want to grow in your love for God? Do the things that stir your affections for God. Read your Bible. And if you're thinking, that doesn't really stir my affections, give it time. Just keep reading. Just start somewhere small. Read a proverb a day. Read a psalm a day. Whatever, just get going and having your soul fed by the scriptures. Prayer. Praying with believers. Having just small prayers. God, help me. Having Praying through the scriptures. Fellowship with other believers. If you're having real Christian fellowship, your soul will be encouraged. So keep doing those things. Keep pursuing them. And don't, don't limit yourself in them. But it, other things. If, if walking, going on hikes and praying, just enjoying God's nature... And thinking about God, how great you are, do that. I, I love watching the Discovery Channel. It's like, like Planet Earth and Frozen Planet and all these kinds of things. It's just see God's creation. And I, just, I just think, man, God is so incredible. That, that stirs my affections for Christ and what he's done. So whatever that is for you, if that's journaling, if that's reading books, if it's listening to music, in addition to prayer and scripture and fellowship, do those things. And now secondly, so do what serves your affections for God and then don't do the things that weaken your affections for God. The things in your life that feel to kind of rob your affections for Christ. Let them go. Don't do them. The sins in our life that we know are sins and we're really doing nothing about, the Lord's inviting us to see those as dead with Christ and now see us as raised to newness of life with Christ. Because remember, this is why Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I say. Obedience matters. And it's not ungospel-centered. It's not ungracious to say obedience matters to loving God. This is what God has said. Our decisions ultimately motivate, they're ultimately motivated by what we love, not by what we know is right and wrong. You can know right and wrong all day long, but you will still only do what you love. People know adultery is wrong. Christians know adultery is wrong. So why in the world do people do it? They know it's wrong. Because they loved a sinful moment of pleasure more than their spouse and more than God. People know lying is wrong. 
they don't like it when politicians lie. So why do we lie? Because we love being well thought of. And we love our reputation. And we can't stand the thought of not being liked. We love it too much. This is why loving God is the greatest commandment. Because when we have love for him and love for his word and love for his ways and love for his kingdom, everything else gets put in the right orbit. When you do love the Lord your God, you will love your neighbor as yourself. When you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, you will love your spouse as God has called you to. You will love your children because you're loving God. God is the blazing center of our solar system. And everything else gets put in the right orbit when we have love for him. So is God supreme in your life? And is it evident? Is your love for him clear? Or, this, or has, have the good things of this world dulled your love for him? This is the warning that Moses gives at the end of the passage. Look at verse 10. Verses 10 and 11 and 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, so they're going into the promised land, sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You see that thing we just saw earlier. To your son, your son, son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And look at this land. Look at how he describes it. With great and good cities that you did not build. Houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full. So he's like, man, when you go into this place and your life gets great and you've got a house, you've got a place to live, you've got roof, you've got a food, you've got a deep freezer, you've got toys, you've got hobbies, you've got Xbox, you've got 4K TV, you've got soccer, you've got kids soccer, you've got ballet, you've got violin lessons. When you've got all of these great things in your life, verse 12, then take care. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's a great danger in our families that all of the good things in life, if, not, if we're not careful, will help us forget the Lord our God. Don't forget about your God, Redeemer. Don't forget about the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. Don't let your hobbies, your job, your house, your money, your retirement, your kids' hobbies, don't let them help you forget the Lord your God, the one who rose again, the one who is returning, and now you live by faith alone in him. So maybe this is where many of us need to start. Before we can really get into family discipleship, we need to remember the Lord again. Remember the Lord in our homes. To repent of all the ways that we've forgotten him. To remember him in our lives. And each one of us re-remembering him. Loving him and pursuing him and stirring our affections for him. And killing the things that rob our affections for him. Because we want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. So before we can make disciples at home, we must live as disciples in our homes, in our lives, following the risen Lord Jesus and showing our kids how they can too. So take care this day and take care this week lest you forget the Lord your God. And let's begin to model before our children and model before our friends, whether you're a grandparent or you're an uncle, you're in a missional community with young kids, remember 
model before them all what it looks like to follow Jesus. Lest we forget the Lord our God. You know why Judges 2.10 exists in the scriptures? And that says, there arose a generation who did not know God, his works, or his ways. Judges 2.10 is in the scriptures because they did not obey Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. So let's, let's not allow a Judges 2.10 to be inscribed into our family history. But let's remember the Lord together. Let's go to him in prayer now.